As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today my co-host George Ellick and I will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action, as well as a nice little treat as we've got a cup final as well. And as ever, we're in the company of Bet365, Steve Freeth, or as I now know his friends call him, Beef. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they call you beef? Beefy, is that what it is? Is it that simple? Yeah, I think it was when I was about six or seven and I had like, I used to play football with a couple of friends in in his back garden. I put on my Albion shorts and like my legs like are really skinny. So I think he called me beef legs. And I'm still known that in many circles as uh, as beef, yeah. Full disclosure, you may have seen on social media, you may have not. There's a bit of trouble in our camp at the moment because Steve and I went to an EFL game last night. No, George. Mm. George, how are you feeling? Yeah, good. I didn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd have, I'd have said no if I was asked. I don't want to hang out. I don't want to mix work with pleasure. Um, we were pr- yeah, you saw a decent game. We were praying, George. We were praying that it wasn't going to be a nil-nil. Just imagine you snuck up on you know on the sofa <laughs> with the missus with a nice glass of wine in the warm, enjoying yourself, and then there was me and Dan. Oh, I mean, we weren't freezing, Dan. We were well-fed and watered. Some, some, cold, some more than cold, others. Cold. I, I hasten to add, <laughs> some were more <laughs> were better fed and watered. But uh, yes, it was a. Uh, uh, unfortunately, from my point of view, it was it was a disappointing performance from the Potters. It was it was a shame for me because I I messaged you saying Stoke look a bit short to me and Luton go in two one. Was I on? Don't ask was Dan. I ever, Dan no. won. Oh, I did the same. D- Dan exactly even same, Dan, Dan even predicted two one to Luton as well. I went yeah. two ones alone, and I couldn't get I couldn't get on the betting apps to do anything. The Wi-Fi is Stoke, not good by the way. All the forger, so it's big Even problems with Stoke. No, it's no, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was just Dan's phone. He gets that at Villa all the time. It must be something to do with his phone. It's fine. It's fine at the bet three six five. Don't worry. <laughs> Let's stop talking about social lives and just talk a little bit about Anthony Alanga. George, he's, he's doing bits, as the kids would say, for Manchester United, and saved them last night really in a poor performance. Yeah, he is. I mean, when you look at. Um the players who are performing best for Manchester United at the moment, despite um, the the Ronaldo signing, despite Bruno Fernandes and what he's done previously, you'd have to say it, 
it's looking more and more like Jadon Sancho and, and Anthony Alanga are the two mm. players who need to be starting for United. And that that's fairly significant. Um, it's exciting, I think, for whoever does come in and take over. You know, I think we can we can be pretty confident sitting here that in two years, the likes of, of Cavani and, and Ronaldo are going to be distant memories. And it's whilst there might be uh, an issue in terms of, of return on investment with Ronaldo, it's far, far better for Manchester United long-term that it's these guys, you know, the guys who are at the beginning of their career, who they're the ones who are performing. And uh, in Alanga, they look to have got a player who has that all-important knack of scoring important goals at important times. Yeah, plenty of Manchester United content on The Athletic at the moment and content on all the Premier League teams and football in general. So before we do get into that first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. To do that, just visit theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll be able to take advantage of that offer. Game one is Southampton v Norwich, a bit of Friday night lights. My favourite team, Southampton flying. at the moment, still <laughs> absolutely <laughs> flying, Steve. What on earth? They're safe, which I think half the Premier League can't say at the moment. Beat Everton 2-0 last week, first clean sheet of 2022. Actually, their first clean sheet since the 5th of November. They look like they may be able to push toward Europe. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's still... That's still a big ass, Danny, isn't it? They're 50 to 1. Well, it's more likely than going down. Yeah, well, it's 150 to 1 to be relegated and 50 to 1 for the top six. So that's a, that's a fair assessment by yourself. You know, the, the 3 to 1 shots to be relegated. I think they were 7 to 1 when you tipped them down. So they weren't that that short. So they're 11 to 4 after the Chelsea game in October, you know, when they hadn't won a game. And they're now odds on, aren't they, to to finish in, in the top half as well, which uh, which is, you know, testament to, to Hassan Hootel and, and, and the job he's done. Interesting in, in a goalkeeper point of view, but Fraser Force has been in recently. You know, those two and, and McCarthy seem to be, you know, rotating quite a bit as well and, and talks about new contracts and, and, and things like that. Well, Fraser Forster, if I'm correct, George, I could be wrong. It feels like their run has kind of coincided with him being in goal instead of McCarthy. McCarthy got injured, didn't he, in that ridiculous free kick routine mm. when, he, when he was injured and House and Hurtle slayed him after the game. But since Fraser Forster has been in goal, Southampton's results have improved. Yeah, they have. Um, I mean, I, I, often you've got to look at things and, and work out whether it's a coincidence or it's a cause. Um, Fraser Force has played very well in goal for, for Southampton. Um, this was their first clean sheet since the beginning of November. Um, so it's not like he's come in and suddenly uh, they don't concede any goals. You know, they're, they're blessed to have two fairly decent keepers, although uh, Fraser Force's form um, before being dropped for, for McCarthy wasn't the best. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a good keeper. Um He's played well. He's probably now got the got the uh, the jersey. Um, it's, how, it's interesting how it's always the shirt with an outfield player, and it's the jersey when it's a keeper, isn't it? Uh, I think he's got the jersey for the, um, the gloves. For the next... sure, he's, got the gl- he's got the gloves. He's definitely got the gloves. He's, he's got, got the gloves, gloves and the jersey um, yeah. for for the foreseeable. Um, but I think there's more to Southampton's good form than just a change in goal. I think we're seeing certain key players playing very well. I think James Ward-Prowse had, by his standards, a very uh, quiet first half of the season. I don't know if the speculation linking him to uh, away from the club, which is kind of the first time that's happened in his in his career, uh, being linked to Aston Villa, had an impact on that possibly. Uh, but he's now, you know, him and Romeo are playing incredibly well. A player I think we're going to talk about in a second, Liveramento at right back, is is going from strength to strength almost on a weekly basis. They have attacking options and plenty of them and very different attacking options between Adams and Broha and Armstrong. They've got players with very, very diff- different skill sets who are all adept and playing in the front two that they adopt. You know, it's a it, it's a pretty well-oiled machine and this seems to be the way with, with Hassan Hootel is that he has, he, he can often get teams operating at a high level 
but just when there's a change of personnel in the playing staff, it takes him a while to get them well drilled in the way that he wants to play. Tino Livermento then. Steve, where would he sit on the odds to go to the World Cup as a right back for England? I'm imagining there's a fair few ahead of him. There is. Is he, is he still in your fantasy team, by the way? No, he's gone. He seemed to be. He seemed to be in everyone else's. I'm just. I'm, Mate, South, Southampton were getting relegated, so he came out. As you, as you well know. Yeah. Well, I'm just buying my time trying to look for these prices, and I'm, I thought you might yeah. be Philly. <laughs> no, he's eight to one. <laughs> he's eight to one. Eight. He's eight to one. George, are you smashing into the eight to one? I know you've got a. Uh, you've no. got an opinion around. There seems to be a, a, a bit of traffic in front of him. Yeah, there are. I mean, he's a player who, at 19 years of age, um, it, it's incredible to think you know, he came through the Chelsea Academy. He'd never had a loan before. This is his first um, taste of, of Premier League football. And um, in a pretty similar way to, to Lamptey at, at Brighton, he's taken to it so quickly. And, you know, he's gone from being someone who'd never played Premier League football to now, I think, pretty quickly being a fullback who we can rest pretty assured will be sought after by every single big club in kind of quote marks in the country and possibly in Europe as well. I know that Chelsea have a a buyback uh, seemingly. I don't know if they'll be looking to exercise that. It doesn't really seem much point when they've got Rhys James uh, who will be their right back for the foreseeable future. Um, but in Liveramento, his ceiling is, is incredibly high. I, I'm not going to back the eight to one because we have so many good right backs, but I do think he's someone who was only, what, 18 months ago? when Rhys James came back from his loan at Wigan, where people were saying, oh, it's such a shame for Rhys James that, that we've got Trent and we've got Trippier and we've got Walker because he's never going to break in. Well, you know, he, he's probably proven himself to be, at least in Gareth Southgate's eyes, the pick of the bunch. And, and you know, yeah. it, would, it would be an argument to say that he is the best, most well-rounded right back of the lot. So it's not impossible to, to break through these guys. And I think Livermanto's showing very quickly and, and the rate with which he's improving, that he's another exciting prospect. I think it'd be really good for Manchester United with what they're looking to rebuild. That's where that's where those things are a bit strange because if Manchester United were to move for him, for example, Chelsea mm. would automatically, even if they didn't want him or need him, they'd automatically try and bring him back to stop him going to Manchester but United. They, but, but, but he would know. I mean, if you're if you're Tino yeah. Livermento and you've True. you know he's he's already sat at Chelsea looking ahead of him, uh, who's standing in his way, and I'm pretty sure Rhys James was a big reason why he looked to leave the club. Um, I, I think you've got to think that these guys are going to want to play football. Um, I feel like these buyback clauses and, and other things, I mean, they're, they're pretty rarely activated. We talk about them a lot. I think Matic back to Chelsea is one of the only ones I can think of where um, you know they move quickly to to, to bring yeah. them back. Um, that, that doesn't happen too often. So, and you know, once it's pretty fair to think that once you've left a club, um, having not played many games, you're probably not going to be rushing to go back. So, um, it'll be a, an interesting one for Southampton. You know, Southampton have a don't have a great history of keeping their their best young talent um, and I'm sure there'll be a few a few clubs this summer who'll be looking to, to move pretty quickly. Yeah, now this next point, I'm really glad we're going to talk about this because I find it fascinating. So in 14 of Southampton's 24 Premier League matches this season, one of Ralph House and Hurtle's players has required a medical attention between the 60th and the 70th minute. So I don't know whether either of you saw this piece in the Athletic Midweek from mm. Dan Sheldon. He's got a lot of attention. It's, it's, I've not, it's not something I've ever seen written about no, before. Do you think it's bad sportsmanship or is it clever? Well, we even commented last night, didn't we, on the amount of gels yeah, that, it happened. It, 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 that were being thrown thrown onto the pitch for the players to to take on board. And, and Yeah, Lut- Lut- Luton loved a gel last night. And um, I, I just think generally in, in, in football now, we're just at a stage where players basically just appeal for absolutely everything. They're programmed to appeal at every single stage. Even if they've kicked the ball out in front of the, the officials 
eyes they'll still automatically appeal that's the way that it is now everybody is trying to just get those small marginal gains as much as they possibly can by putting officials under pressure and like feigning injury cheating whatever you want to call it just to get to those small edges and players do go down so managers can get to their points across George will know Graham Wesley's Stevenage 10 years Graham ago Wesley, yeah, that's, that's yeah, what I was going to say yeah, were, yeah. you know they were written I think they were written to by the by the football league about systematically they, they would go down so that, so he could would get instru- I think they might have even written to Stevenage about this inquiring about it and you know with social media now everybody seems to be you know well aware of things and these things get out more often than not as well Personally, if I was a ma- if I was a manager, I would do it as long as I could get away with it until I was stopped doing it. Mm. And and I, I don't know what other people think. I think I mean it, it seems to me like we we've got to just notice that players and anyone involved is, is going to do whatever they can to win games of football, and that is part of what makes football so great. You know, I, I'm of the belief that if someone dives, I and mean, this isn't going to be popular with some people, if someone dives and they get away with it and they win a penalty and they win the game. Yeah, you, you can you can by all means question their morality and their ethics, but in terms of, of setting out to do what they want to do, they know the risk. If they get caught, they get they get booked and it's a free kick the other way. That's the punishment. If you want to deter people even more, then you can start giving red cards for for um for for diving. But how often when you're in a in a stadium at a at a, at a ground and there's a soft penalty peel in front of you and everyone in the in the ground goes, Aye, aye. And then as soon as it's not given, everyone turns to each other and goes, yeah, it wasn't a pen, was it? wasn't a pen. Like, we all, we all do it. Like, it always happens. You know, everyone wants to win. And that is, football's so tribal. We, we turn a blind eye when, when it's our own players. We say we wouldn't, and then we do. And then when it's anyone else, we're up in arms. Um, it's just, people are always going to find different ways to win. And if anything, I think Southampton doing this um, and finding an innovative way to um, to boost their chances of winning games of football until it's caught and they get sanctioned, crack on. Let's just do a little bit unnourished then before we head to George's tip, Steve. Mm. Look like they're a little bit on on the up. Faced City, then Liverpool when they're on a little bit of a roll. That, that, that is unfortunate. The fixture computer not being kind there. They've got Villa away and then Newcastle at home after this one. Is there any hope for them? And if they were to go down, I presume they're pretty short odds to come back up. I think it depends, Dan, on going down. It depends who comes down with them. So, of course, if Newcastle were also relegated, and I admitted it's looking better and better game by game for them then Newcastle would be extremely sure probably odds on even to win the title and and likewise Everton will be pretty sure as well so um, I would I would suggest that Norwich would be eight nine ten to one to win the title that'd still be one of the front runners for it and I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that Dean Smith would have been a little bit frustrated in their last game at Anfield having taken Liverpool up to the hour mark and it's still be nil nil and then for you know for them to lose they're one to twelve to be relegated and 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 seven to one for a great escape so they're still massively uh, you know the odds are certainly against them in staying this division currently it feels like they're all at the bottom getting results at the moment but it's quite, quite yeah, it condensed is. down there now like, it's hard to choose who's going to go down but you, you would probably have Norwich down as as favourites now I would say George what's your tip then for this one uh, we've spoken about um, Saints getting their first clean sheet since November, early November. Um, I think rather than thinking that's a reason why they'll do it again, it's, it just highlights their defensive issues. And they're playing against a Norwich side who um, who themselves have a, a lot um, to play for. They are a side who who need to basically pick up wins rather than um, looking to stubborn out jaws 
jaws aren't going to keep them up at this stage and it should be a pretty end-to-end game. We saw Norwich uh, score at Anfield and go 1-0 up against Liverpool uh, last weekend. Looking at Southampton's recent games, you know they only conceded 0.2 expected goals against Everton, uh, which was an, an incredible defensive performance, toothless from the Toffees. But 2.99 conceded against Manchester United, uh, 1.74 against Spurs, 2.3 away at Wolves. Um, even go back to the Spurs home game at the end of December, 2.81 in that 1-1 draw. You know, they are a side who consistently concede pretty big chances. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to go both teams to score at 19-20 to in what should be an end-to-end game. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, will be assessment, assessment uh, about the club, about uh, about me, and uh, because I think that uh, for me it's very frustrating to lose four games in the last five games. The players are always the same in this club. Change uh, the, the coaches, but the players are the same. But the result doesn't change. I'm too honest to accept this type of situation, and for sure uh, we'll make assessment with uh, with the club. Game two is Leeds v Spurs, Saturday lunchtime. Leeds in a little bit of trouble, but we're going to start with Spurs because prior to Wednesday night's defeat at Burnley, we were all preparing to eat a little bit of humble pie. We gave them not much chance against City and they were absolutely exceptional, Harry Kane in particular. But then, a little bit Spursy. They lose 1-0 to Burnley, George. A little bit Spursy. I mean, it's... Yeah, it was, yeah. it's I was going to Spurs. Um, you know, all the narrative. Every, I mean, on social media, everyone was saying, how Spursy would it be to go and do what they did against City and then go and lose to Burnley? And lo and behold, it's what they've done. Um, you f- I kind of feel like Antonio Conte is the antithesis of Spursy, where he's someone who, um, who <laughs> has such high standards um, that until things kind of fell apart at Chelsea or whatever, you know, he's someone who... It's pretty rare to see um, when things are going well, things tend to, to keep going well. And it felt like the reaction um, at City, you know, conceding in the in the 92nd minute and then Harry Kane going up the other end and scoring, the significance of it being a Kane brace, the significance of seeing a very impassioned Antonio Conte in the dugout, not looking at all like somebody who uh, didn't fancy the task at hand um, for just a few, la- few days later to go to Burnley. And, you know, I've seen some people say, Burnley away, tough game. That's Burnley's second home win of the season. Turf Moor has not been a tricky place to go and it wasn't a smash and grab. The Spurs had a lot of the ball and did very little with it. Burnley had uh, more opportunities, more shots and were good value for their win. Um, I kind of feel like for for Tottenham, they've just got to do everything they can 
to keep Antonio Conte um, engaged and willing because this season looks like it's kind of spiralling a bit towards a write-off. I mean, they're still massively in the top four race, but it feels like it's almost crisis management, firefighting until the end of the season, then have a summer where you can look to, to raise the standards across the whole of the club and go into next season with a completely different mentality. Yeah, I mean, his interview last night, Dave, we yeah. heard it in the car on, on, on the way back. Uh, there's quite a lot there, but I'll... I'll Go into it briefly. Antonio? He's saying Antonio? That, uh, Anto- Antonio? Yeah, Sam Matterface. <laughs> Sam Matterface chasing after Antonio Conte. <laughs> trying to get him to answer his final question. Couldn't get an answer. But Conte is basically saying there's going to be an assessment about him, an assessment about the club. They all need to speak together and understand what the best solution is. It feels very much to me like he kind of just, he's had enough already. I don't know. Or do you think he could have been pre-planned, do you think? We mentioned him and Joe. Oh, I think he's I don't think he's like that. I just think he's he's had enough. Uh, I don't know whether it was pre-planned. I think people were saying, oh, he's just lost the game away at Burnley. He was just telling us about his emotions were were running riot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was pre-planned. He'd, he'd take somewhere out the Jose book yet again and and, and, and put it and, and put it down there for all people to to read and and see. Um, like I said last week, I, I thought Conte would go in the summer, and I still think uh, and I still think he will. What do you think, George? It's quite weird going from saying that the best group of players he's worked with on Saturday to being chased by some matter first walking walking out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's just an incredibly passionate man, isn't he? Um, I think he he. You know, we mentioned it last week. He's someone who um, speaks first and thinks second. I think, and you know, I'm sure if if, if Spurs go and win this game uh, against Leeds four five nil, then you'll see a very happy man again afterwards. I personally, I, I'm not reading too much into it, although you know that what he is saying, um, I think, is there to try and you know promote some action um, at the club in order to to bring the club closer to where he feels it, it should be you know i i think antonio conte probably believes he's taken a job a little bit under him at the moment um he's not used to coaching uh, sides um who lose as many games as this but there comes a time where he's got to stop pointing his finger at the club and and, and acknowledge that this is his team because uh, yeah, they're obviously in, capable because they beat Man City at the weekend a fantastic performance and it was also what frustrated me again we spoke about this last week but it was what frustrated me about him changing his tune on, on the transfer dealings there has to come a stage when you're the new manager of a club where you're no longer the new manager anymore you are just the manager and this is your mm. team playing in your style and it feels like at the moment Conte is very happy to take the credit for that when things go right and then as soon as it goes wrong it's it's kind of him and the, the, the team are two different entities I think it's the cap. Did he have the cap on on Saturday? When he's got that cap on, he always seems to be sombre. <laughs> where, that's, that's, I don't think he did have the cap on, did he? I don't, I don't know whether he did on Saturday. He definitely had, had the cap on last night. The cap mm. seems to seems to cause upset. I, I think. wish I could have his hairstyle, yeah. put it that way. I mean, he used to have yours. Exactly, yeah. I'll have to get the number. <laughs> get Sam Matter first to charge after him and get his, get his number for you. Like Leeds then, oh, Leeds dear. then, George. Yeah. Let's talk about Leeds, Dave. Humbled 6-0 by Liverpool last night off the back of a 4-2 defeat to Manchester United at the weekend. Is it now an emergency situation? Yeah, Leeds, I, I, I don't think it's a case of them not listening to the manager, Dan. They're always going to do what what Bielsen wants them to do. Liverpool tore them apart last night. The defensive point, you look at that defence that they put out last night. Ailing and uh, Stroik, the, the, the two centre-halves. I think Fur- good. Furpo one side and uh, Dallas at, at right back as well. So without being disrespectful to those guys, it, you could probably see that defence in the championship, really. Lorente was, was injured last night, but I don't think he's hit the hit the form that we've seen him previously. Liam Cooper may divide attention up at Leeds, but they've certainly missed him 
um, from a defensive point of view. And likewise, clearly, we, we, we've, we've talked about the loss of Phillips and, and Bamford as well. And it just seems like teams are finding ways to get around Bielsa's system there, that man-marking system, and they're being absolutely punished for it. And as we head into the weekend, they're only 5-2 to two for relegation. So, so big troubles. It feels like that Bielsa won't be there. They'll only be 6-1, to one, I would say, um, to lose their next three games. But I do think the crunch double header looks to be the one in the middle of the March, Dan, when they've got your boys and Norwich City at home. So those two games there in the middle of March could um, make or break Leeds United's season, in my opinion. Yeah, and the great news is, of course, Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford apparently will be back yeah. for that Villa game. Oh, I'm just absolutely <laughs> delighted to hear that. Fair play to them. Really glad they're returning. That they've waited for that game. George, what, what are you thinking about Leeds at the moment? Because... I can't work out the relegation battle at the moment because now I'm thinking Burnley are going to get out, Newcastle are going to get out, so someone's going to have to get pulled in. Well, not I say pulled in. There's a lot of teams already there, but you know, if I was a Brentford fan, I'd be worried. I think Everton will have enough at home. But if I was a Leeds fan, the way they're shipping goals all season, I'd be massively concerned. I'd be worried if I was a Villa yeah. fan going down, Dan. Their odds. All right, Dave. No need. No need. <laughs> their odds are shortening each week. I think if I was a Leeds fan, and I am someone. I mean, I absolutely love Marcelo Bielsa and I will argue with anybody who points at whatever's happened this season as any slight on his ability um, but you know there have been these huge slumps that have followed him around in his career it, it normally happens a bit quicker than it has done at Leeds you know he's this is his I think fourth season in charge of Leeds um, where the first three were unmitigated successes from start to finish even though towards the back end of the first season when they had promotion in their in their grasp they somehow managed to throw it away but the performances were still very good they were just on the receiving end of some pretty bad luck um but things this season just look desperate and he's not a manager with, with a reputation or a track record of of getting teams out of slumps you know he spoke about, spoke about Hassan Hüttel a second ago Hassan Hüttel is someone who in his managerial career we've seen within the, his 10 years at clubs, dips, and then him managing to turn things around and bring them back. Um, that's not the case. In a similar way where it's not the case with, with Brendan Rodgers either at Leicester. Um, when things go sour, they tend to stay, stay sour. And I'm concerned that that might be the case with Leeds. And it's a difficult situation when, when loyalty is what keeps someone in a job when the stakes are so high. It sounds like they've already decided that Jesse March is the, is the manager they want to replace him. Marsh is currently unemployed. He was asked about the the links over the weekend and and kind of laughed and said he was enjoying un- unemployment. If he's the guy you want and he's and he's there to be got, um, I think now's the time to go and get him. Especially with Bielsa coming to an end of his his contract as well. Uh, he looks pretty devoid of ideas and the way the team are playing, um, it's 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 not. When Bielsa teams are good, it's a well oiled winning machine, and this is anything but. Come on in, Steve, the tipster. What were you saying for this one? Not last week. Uh, I'm going to go to the bookings market. I'm looking at uh, Adam Forshaw, who's averaging 4.8 tackles per 90. I can see him being carded currently just under 2-1 to one at 15-8. to eight. So that's where I'll go this weekend. Game three, Everton versus Manchester City, which is Saturday at 5.30pm. Now, George, following their defeat to Spurs... Do we now have a title race back on our hands? And how, how, how have Manchester City done this? Because it just felt like they were so, so comfortable. And now suddenly they're really looking over their shoulders. We, we definitely have a title race on our hands. I mean, there's no there's no denying that. You're looking at the league table now, there's three points between them uh, after, after level games played. Um, it, it's always important to remember that even when City were miles clear a few weeks ago, um, I, and I think we even said it here, Liverpool and Chelsea's poor run 
uh, although I'm not sure Chelsea's has necessarily ended in terms of performances, but their poor run came at the same time and suddenly City were clear. It was always likely that City were going to have a period of games where they were going to drop points. Um, I would, I personally would look more at which team do you think, if they played tomorrow, would be would be the more likely to win as being a better barometer of, of where we expect, uh, who we expect to come out on top. And that three-point lead is, is very important. We saw a few seasons ago when, when neither side dropped points for the last couple of months of the season, how important a marginal gap at the top can be. Um, and and if, if they were to play tomorrow, I think City would, would be rightful favourites still, despite Liverpool's good form. I, I think that the the uh, level of superiority that we saw City um, show against Liverpool in the tool draw early in the season was was, was pretty stark. Um, when you've got two sides who are consistently playing against teams who are of of poorer quality than them, then you know games like Liverpool blitzing uh, lead six nil can I think be a little bit misleading in terms of what that means in terms of where they are. City have dropped points; they were they were expected to. It was poor to do so against against Spurs. But off the back of that, you know, they're too good for that to, to continue. And off the back of that poor run, there will be um, better results. And I've got a feeling that's going to start here against against Everton. Dan, yeah, we've got a market on back out on Man City's winning distance this season as well. So it wasn't that long ago I was talking to you guys about City winning by 10 or more points and that market being yeah. odds on. So, of course, that's not odds on at the moment. So I'd be interested to know your opinions now on on how far, if at all, Manchester City win this Premier League title race by. I mean, I think I think I said over nine points last time. Yeah, I mean, I also went I also went on Premier League TV and said there was absolutely no chance anyone else was going to win the league. I'm so good at, I'm so good at this stuff. I don't know. I, I can't I can understand why I keep getting these gigs. I'm so good at predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it'll be I reckon it'll be more than six points. City. I mean, I mean, City are two to seven favourites still to to win the league. They have been clearly. A lot shorter. I think they have been like about one to sixteen. Um, you know that's how short uh, short they have been. We still think that Manchester City um, are, are very much in the box seat to win the title. I think the Champions League's massive. I think it depends. They've both got an excellent chance of going all the way in the Champions League it's, it's as well. Huge. It's huge. Yeah, it's a big it's a big disadvantage, especially for City. You know, if, desperate if City to get do, hold of that Champions League, aren't they, for the yeah, first time? Mass, you know, huge. It's, it's huge for them. And and if City go deep in the competition, it, it just it's going to come down. I mean. It, the game they have against each other is is going to be so important, um, clearly. And you know, if City win that game, then, then and, and they win every game up to there, then it's six points. So it's 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 a mugs game trying to predict what's going to happen. Um, but in my in my view, which is is, is seemingly echoed by by the bookies, um, City is still the, the better team of the two. Very hypothetical question here. Do you think if they were offered it, if they just said right now, City, you can have the Champions League, Liverpool, you can have the Premier League, they they'd both take that, wouldn't they? I think yes. I think so. You think? Oh, so well, I, think I don't know. No, I think these guys are winners. I think they? they're both so competitive. Yeah, the winners. They just say no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think Liverpool. I think Liverpool fans would want the Premier League more because you know they, it was so long for them. To, took them so long to win one. They've won one. They, they won it and again. They, and they, City and they didn't are just see desperate it. for that Champions League. Yeah, they didn't see it. City really, really want that Champions League. Pep really, really wants that Champions League. I think they'd. I think they'd both take that. No, not for me. That's two, two against one anyway. Yeah, yeah. Really, there's a first. It doesn't really matter what you think. Yeah, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah. there we go. I mean, Steve, before the Spurs game, we kind of laughed at the idea that City might go back in for Kane. I still don't think they will personally, but would you retract that now? No, no, I still think that all the eggs are in the Harlem, Harlem basket, but we've kind of, uh, yeah, talked about Kane and being getting on in age. N- not saying that his legs were going, but... Having watched that game against City last week, the job that he did was just linking the play again. I think 
I think Spurs only had six shots. He had about three touches in the box. You know, he scored two goals. I think he had one disallowed. His, his link-up play as well was absolutely fantastic. A joy to watch. A real great performance. So he's still got plenty of ability. He's still on a long contract, of course. So, um, but no, I still, I still think it's uh, it's going to be Haaland all the way for Manchester City, and they're going to try and get him at all costs. It's just a real shame that Mbappe seems so set on going to Real Madrid, George, because you know Mbappe and Haaland would potentially both be available in, in the summer. If you had a choice between Mbappe, Haaland and Kane, who would you take? I don't know why I'm doing oh. this. I'm completely going off the script. Um, I can't, can't help myself. I think I would go for Mbappe. Um, really? I think, yeah, I think so. I, I think he is the most proven quality. You know, Haaland's goalscoring record has, has been fantastic. I, I think with his... You know, his physicality at such a young age makes me wonder about his staying power. Will he, will he be able to continue doing what he's doing? Mbappe is the one where he's got that incredible um, ability to hurt you in so many different ways. Uh, and I think he would, you know, he can play. Ideally, you can play him, you play him off, off, you know, off, off the wing, but he'd, he'd be fine playing in a two if, if you played him in that as well. You know, he's someone who is, um, he's an exceptional footballer and incredible physical specimen and he'd be the one I'd, I'd take. I'm going Holland, Steve. Yeah, agreed. Holland for me. Mate, with me. Yeah, agree with you. Yeah. There you go, George. Doesn't matter what you think. Two against two against <laughs> for once. Let's, yeah, let's 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 talk about Everton then. Under Lampard, they're definitely pressing better, but that's probably not a wise manoeuvre against Manchester City. George, you think Frank will show a bit of flexibility and take a leaf out of Spurs' book, but then have they got the players to do what Spurs did? It's interesting because I, I look back at Lampard's record against Pep as Chelsea manager, and he he lost two and won one. The two that they lost, they actually outpassed City, um, which surprised me because you know City are the one side where even when they are, are ahead in games, they don't they don't change the way they play. You know, have you ever seen a Pep Guardiola side sit in and drop in and, and look to defend? Uh, it never happens. So I was surprised to see that. And then the one they won at Stamford Bridge, uh, they won two one. Uh, it was in June. It was kind of in that in that that COVID summer of, of football in empty stadiums. Um, it was a completely different mindset. Um, they sat off. They let City have the ball. City went down to, to 10 men with 25 minutes to go um, and were behind and still dominated possession. So you, you wonder if Lampard has, has learned from that. I'd be, it would be, in my opinion, with given that the players he has at his disposal at Everton are, are of a, you know, not of the quality of those at Chelsea. Um, fighting fire with fire with, with poorer players I think is only going to go one way and we see how Leeds are continually picked off by Liverpool and City I think it would go that way if if, if Lampard were, were to stick to his guns but having said that having you know when he's when he's got a new team and he's drilling them in the way that he wants to play is he going to be look, looking to turn around in his fourth game and say right Right, let's uh, let, let's drop in and let City have it and try and try and catch up on the break. Historically, the older Everton fans will be aware of of the record that they have against City. I know it, it, it accounts for a, for not a great deal, but you know, they used to constantly beat Manchester City both home and away. Defensively, they always used to be absolutely superb. Players like Tim Cahill used to used to score winning goals against them as well. And I'd imagine Manchester City used to absolutely be frightened about actually coming to Goodison and, and, and facing Everton. Of course, it's a lot different now. And Manchester City, of course, have gone on to bigger and better things and, and have won the last nine. So I just thought I'd throw in a bit of historic facts there on the clash between the two. Thanks very much, Grandad. George, what's your tip for this one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, it's it's not, it's not a fancy price, um, but I'm I'm quite surprised to see that City are as big as two to seven. I'm not tipping the two to seven shot, but I think there's been a massive overreaction here to to City's defeat at um, 
against Spurs. I think City are still the best team in the league and they should exert their dominance here against Everton. So the minus one is eight to 11 and the minus two is 15 to eight. I think they're both value there. I think you shouldn't be too concerned about City's uh, form. They will be able to, um, as we've seen them do so many times, um, they will return to form at some stage and Everton can have their work cut out by ensuring that they're not beaten by a couple, in my view. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, this is Adam Hurry, creator-in-chief of the Football Clichés podcast, and I bring you news of the biggest crossover hit since Harry Kane took England's corners at Euro 2016. For my guest on this week's edition of Mesut Harland Dicks is none other than Totally Football Show Supremo, James Jimbo Richardson. It's astonishing. How dare you put yourself at a point in which you could describe him, or let's face it, any other number of vertically challenged great players as little. My question to you is why don't you love him? You can never really complain about going and, and sitting and watching a uh, top-level football match for, for a living and possibly explaining who Wan were uh, in the process. <laughs> Am I allowed to call him Jimbo? Not sure. But in sharing his footballing loves and hates with us, he has joined a stellar, exclusive club of A-listers, including Ellis James, Kelly Cates, Peter Drury, Jamie Carragher, Finchie from The Office, Sir Keir Starmer and Professor Jonathan Van Tam. Enjoy Jimbo's selections and everyone else's on the Football Clichés podcast. Grazie mille. Next up, West Ham v Wolves, which is Sunday at 2 o'clock. Now, full disclosure, we're recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon and Wolves are yet to go to Arsenal, so we're going to focus on West Ham a little bit here. Steve, have they finally run out of steam? I mean, their old striker, Haller, scoring for fun in the Champions League. <laughs> West Ham fans are probably thinking, what on earth have we done there and why has there been no investment to replace him? Yeah, seven of four he is now, Haller, to, to finish his chop. Champions League goal scorer running rubbing shoulders with uh, Lewandowski and, and Salah of course yeah it's been some some season for him and and West Ham are a, a, a double figure price now to finish in the top four uh, having dropped points against let's be honest sides that they probably should should be beating really and uh, Mikel Antonio will no doubt be highlighted his, his, his lack of goals it seems to be a little bit of, of, of a concern, I suppose. Bowen been stepping up to the plate and, and and papering over the cracks just a little bit. Just looking at the just the basic data, he's only had one shot in the last five weeks, which is a would be a huge concern. Whether he's playing too much football, he's also playing a lot for Jamaica as well, doing a bit of travelling. And West Ham haven't got those options off the bench. I think if you look at the bench these days, the likes of Yarmolenko is is he's sitting on the bench, and and, and David Moyes hasn't signed a striker. I think I've read since the last time that uh, since returning to West Ham as well. So concerns on that front, and they are around fourteen to one to finish in the top four. So we certainly don't think they'll be they'll be challenging this time around. 
it's a little bit of a shame, George, because they, they are a good watch. I was actually at one point really hoping they would break into that top four because I liked what they were about. But now Kurt Zuma plays from I don't particularly care. But what, what do you think? <laughs> the performances have definitely taken a turn. Um, we spoke last week about that and I spoke about some kind of nerdy stuff about as to why that was going to happen. And, and they've had two jaws off the back of it um, for whatever reason things aren't going as well. I think Antonio's hot streak of, of goal scoring form at the beginning of the season was important, but it's important, you know, it's also important not to look at this as being an isolated half a season where they've been decent. They were good last season. Um, and one of my biggest pet hates, uh, as, as I think I've spoken to Steve about in the past, is when managers get judged by their own standards. And that's starting to happen here with David Moyes. You know, David Moyes has set incredibly high standards at West Ham over the course of his tenure this time round. And it's unfair on him to be judged by those. You know, he, he is the reason why suddenly being a double figure price for the for being in the top four is a disappointment. But at the same time, you know, if, if he can manage to steer them to another top six, top seven finish, that shouldn't go down as as being a um a, a poorly done job. And you know, I think West Ham fans um at the moment appreciate that and, and still appreciate what David Moyes is doing. Uh, and you know, as long as he's at the helm, and I think their recruitment when they do bring in players has been very smart recently. Uh, you know, and I'm sure in, in the summer they will look to to make additions and, and try again to keep hold of Declan Rice and, and Jared Bowen. Just a quick Google, and Jose Sarr moved to Wolves for eight million euros. Not bad. Steve is the, the best pound for pound goalkeeper slash shot stopper in the Premier League. Well, he is on the goals prevented charts. He's 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 top of that. Six point six goals prevented, faced ninety six shots on target, and he is the best keeper according to those those stats. A, a upgrade on Patricio, a a yeah. sweeper keeper. I think Wolves fans. I think non-Wolves fans might have been quite surprised when when Patricio left. I think Wolves, I, I think Wolves fans though, those who you know go and read the data were quite pleased in a way and were quite excited by the fact that you know Sars come in and 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 they've proven to be correct. Clearly, the manager as well. After we're talking about about managers, you know, hit, hitting the, the highs. Nuno was one of those. The first couple of seasons in the Premier League, you know, Wolves were had some high finishes, and it went all a, a little bit stale for him in in the last season. There, I think Wolves fans just got a bit bored. Bruno Large is, is still quite defensive, but I think they're a bit more adventurous these days. The, the you know the back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, of I've worked together for a long time now. I know Kilman's still relatively young, um, you know, compared to the likes of Connor Cody. But him and Kilman and Sace have been have been brilliant. Ruben Neves has stepped up to the plate. He, he's he's back on form as well, and they've got players to come back, so it's all looking pretty good. You know, who's to say they haven't got they haven't lost four 0 to Arsenal? I certainly hope that they have. But Wolves are definitely going in the right direction. I actually think they've got a good balance between defence and, and attack, and I've got every chance of finishing high up the table. You mentioned players coming back, and Pedro Neto returned from a long-term injury over the weekend. George, if you had to pick one out of West Ham or Wolves to finish as the so-called best of the rest, who would you be going for right now? It's difficult because I, f- I kind of fancy Wolves here, but then I think you're you know you're falling into a bit of a trap by saying Wolves because um, we're we're talking off the back of a very good bit of Wolves form and a, and a pretty poor run of West Ham form, uh, and West Ham have the have the the small march on them uh, in terms of points on the board. So I, I'm going to stick with with West Ham as being just about better, but I am excited about Neto. You know he is. He's a player that I love to watch. I think he's he's kind of of the Rafinha ilk, where um, it's not going to be long if if he's retained. Um, 
his kind of explosiveness uh he's after the injury i think he's someone who's going to be wanted by by all the big clubs uh, fairly soon and um and i think they've missed him this season with him and, and Pudence as well. Um, you know, there's so much star quality and, and you know, Neves doing what he does. Um, I still don't think he gets enough credit for being um, such a, a dominating midfielder as well with, with the magician Jaume in front of him. They've got so many fun players and, and very, very I good know, technical very players good as, well. as well. And I know he's been brilliant. You know, yeah. they, they're, they're a very good side. Um, but yeah, I think it's a bit a bit of a trap to fall into to think that Wolves are going to brush past them uh, in the league table, even if I do think they could give them a, a big game on Sunday. Steve, who would you pick? And what are the what are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah, West Ham will be favourites at, at at four to six to to finish above Wolves on the current odds with Wolves at eleven to ten. So we do fancy the Hammers to to get back to a little bit of form and finish above Wolves. Uh, if you gave me a free free bet there, I probably I'd probably play Wolves. I, I I have to say, and I think this game the weekend might take a similar path to the one that we saw earlier in the season when there was just one goal scored. So from a betting point of view, I'd probably play safe and go for under two and a half goals in this game. Is that your tip? It is indeed. Thank you very much, Steve. Nicely done. Well, well weaved into the podcast. I didn't even really need to come to it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just weaved it in weaved. there very You're talking nicely. about my hair again? Yeah. Come on. Game five, the final game that we're going to look at today is Chelsea v Liverpool. The EFL Cup final, of course. That's 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday. Don't like this question, but it's in the script, so I'm going to ask it. George, does the Carabao Cup matter? I mean, I think it's quite a good question. It matters um, to Liverpool matters and to Chelsea me. on Sunday. Uh, it matters to a lot of the EFL fans for a couple of months um, in autumn and winter. Does it matter to Chelsea Liverpool until the semi-finals? Not really. Um, that, that's the issue with it. Um, it seems to be one of those tournaments where suddenly it matters when when you're there in the final. Um, it's 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 a great competition in my view because of the the opportunities it gives EFL sides to play up against um, Premier League sides, have a good day out, have a chance to test self against the best, and maybe make a few quid. I personally don't think the Carabao Cup final matters a great deal. Um, I'm unless, at this. This is the opposite of what I was expecting from you. Me, unless, me too. I thought George would be all over this and would be very pro. I am. I mean, I am very pro. I'm pro the Carabao Cup. Does this game matter? How much does this game matter to Liverpool and Chelsea? Is my point. Yeah, Not I suppose. Much. Yeah, I see. I see that, what that, you're that's saying. That's my issue. If, if you know, if Villa. If West Brom, oh, if stop laughing, George. And, if it, and, if you, and Oxford, yeah, yeah. Well, Oxford, don't just, don't sure. just drag, I mean, it's, it's, it's drag great, our, it's our teams greatest into it. ever moment was winning the Milk of Cup. Of course, back it was 86 so. against QPR. We all remember that against QPR. Yeah. And who who is, who is managing QPR? Jim Smith. No. Yeah, having having just left us the year before. Yeah. There you go. See? The bald the good, bald eagle the bald eagle that he was the brilliant Jim Smith. Yeah. But that's my point. So if you know Villa were in the were in the Carabao Cup final, if if West Brom were, if these sides were winning that cup, I'm, is I'm going not to be... happy with that comparison. Villa being compared well, to West Brom at if, all. If if, if 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 Villa won the Carabao Cup this season, where would it rank be in just. the best? It, where where would it rank in the best moments in the club's re- recent history? Yeah, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, the European Cup since 1996. <laughs> exactly, the, the European exactly. Cup doesn't exactly. count. That's my point. So, but for Liverpool and Chelsea, this game on Sunday it doesn't prove anything. You know, like the FA Cup final is clearly the the the, the pinnacle of, of UK domestic cup competitions, and therefore when you've got two sides who are, you know, it's, it's important for these fringe players who don't get to play very often. It's a great competition for blooding those players as well. I love the Carabao Cup. My point was that this Sunday, this game, does it matter? Not really. It matters to Pep, I suppose, in the last few years because his team always always used to win it, and I think jo- <laughs> yeah. I think Jose used to like it as well because um, Mourinho always seemed to go for it in his in his time at Chelsea. Yeah. The first time around, he saw it as an early an early chance to get some silverware on the board, and and used to play pretty strong teams in the competition from memory as well. But yeah, I think it, I, I mm. think it is a fair it, it's a fair discussion point. I would say. 
I mean, Jose counts the charity shield as a, as a trophy win, so the, the EFL Cup must be <laughs> absolutely massive to him. Huge. Yeah. Stood there doing the, the, the three at the end of the season, including the charity shield in there when they, when they won the Europa League. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would say is at the beginning of your season, you know, when, when you're if you're Liverpool or Chelsea and you're planning your season, you're you're putting making a priority of things that are important. I would argue that the Carabao Cup comes below things as as kind of tenuous as you know ensuring your your team are playing a certain style. You know, bringing young players through, like all this stuff. It, it, at the end of the day, as an achievement, it ranks incredibly low in terms of priorities and, and where a team sets out to be. It's only when you get there that you're like, oh, here we go. There's there's a trophy at the end of this that we can then pat ourselves on the back and our manager can say he's won a trophy. It's decoration. That's I've got a theory. I've got a theory, Steve. Go on. I think the big boys would rather win the AFL Cup than the FA Cup because it's less disruptive to the season. You get to the business end of the season, you've got an FA no. Cup semi-final and a final. I think that's more disruptive than the AFL Cup. Mm, I take your points, but I don't think, no. I think FA, no? FA, no, FA Cup over, over, over League Cup all day long. You weren't having that either, were you, George? No. Did you take the point at the very least that I was trying to make? I, I, I understand why it would be more convenient for them to win the, the Carabao Cup, of course. Um, but I mean, I really, what's the difference? Of... What's the difference between winning the League Cup and the FA Cup, really? Nowadays? I mean, that, that is, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, I think the FA Cup is still taken more seriously by more teams. Uh, it's still more prestigious being, as well, isn't it? Winning the FA I'd Cup prefer, than the League Cup. Personally, obviously. I'd prefer to win the FA Cup, personally. But to, the, to, the, to these clubs, really... There's not much difference. It doesn't get you anything extra. It's it's the last domestic game of the season. It's basically like the last one standing. Every single every single club in the country goes in for it. You're the one at the end who's, who's left standing. It's you know I, I I think it's more important. Maybe if you're if you're you know Thomas Tuchel and the romance of it guys, all. You, you, but when you go you know even when you go abroad and you talk to foreign football fans about about English football, a lot of them talk about the FA Cup rather than the Premier League. You know it's a it's an institution. It's 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 important. And the way Albion are going, it'll be the Papa John's next season for us. I don't know anything else. <laughs> <laughs> fingers fingers crossed, Dave. I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that. Yeah. So Chelsea do have a 100 million problem up front at the moment, Romelu Lukaku. It's an interesting discussion on BT Sport last night as Michael Owen argued he's the only striker at the club capable of scoring 25 to 30 goals a season. So because of that, he has to start every game and he needs the confidence of his manager. Is Havertz really a number nine, Steve? Can, can they play together? I don't know about them them playing together, but I, th- I think you'd rather have Havertz playing at the moment in, in, instead of Lukaku, obviously, with... Clearly, the interview that he did a few months ago hasn't helped. You know, the uh, you know Havertz. He's, he's played really well by all accounts. One of his better performances for Chelsea in midweek as well. Just as and he's playing with confidence now. I would, I would imagine, and he, and he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders previously. Where now, and he's going under, under the radar. I would suggest as well. Whereas Lukaku, everything that everyone's watching Lukaku's every move, aren't they? None more so than the seven touches he had in the last game against Crystal Palace as well. Um, which not much to watch then. No, no, exactly that. And I think Havertz is probably in a good place now. I mean, he hasn't. I must admit, he hasn't totally blown me away as a as a as a top quality forward. I mean, he's still still relatively young, can play in a number of positions, can move around the front. Whereas Lukaku is probably just a just a number nine, really. So I think he's got a, he's got a lot more things going to him from a flexibility and a versatility point of view. I'm not just doing this because uh, you know I want to get back at you, Steve. But I mean, I. I, I... Disagree. I, I think you've got to. I think the the key for Chelsea and for Thomas Tuchel has to be to find a way to 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 get a tune out of Romelu Lukaku. You've got a, you've got a striker here who we know uh, can be one of the best goal scoring strikers in the in in, in the in, in the world, whilst also offering a lot more 
than that playing in a front two as well you know he's somebody who at his best is is basically unplayable you can't then just sit back and say well he's not doing it for us so therefore let's um let's let's cut our losses you know even at Manchester United where he was he divided opinion he still scored a lot of goals this is a guy who scored a lot of goals for West Brom he scored a lot of goals for Everton you know so it's not a it's not a Premier League issue we've got ourselves here it's it's either a confidence issue or it's a fitness issue or, or it's a style issue but when you go out and you buy a guy who has proven in your league and has one of the best goal scoring records in Europe over the last couple of seasons and things don't initially click you've got to look at yourself to an extent and say how can we make this better because the best possible situation here for Chelsea is for Romelu Lukaku to regain his form and play up front for them that that solves everything don't go out and buy another striker like Chelsea strikers you look at the revolving door of Chelsea strikers and this is what they do they cut their losses when things don't go well you've got an elite coach in Thomas Tuchel you've got a, a, a very very good team around him and behind him he played in the front two with with uh, with Martin as an intern did very well so why don't you try that or, or is, is Thomas Tuchel too stubborn to say this is how I want to play? Um, okay, but I've got a guy here in Lukaku who, who maybe wants to play this way instead. Um, yeah, you find a way, find a way to make it work because it, this isn't Romelu Lukaku is bad. This is Romelu Lukaku is playing badly. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, George. Um, I mean, I was just looking at his data earlier. You know, Rudiger has had more shots than than Lukaku this season. It's incredible. He does shoot from yeah. his own penalty <laughs> he does, area. Yes. He does, yeah. And of course, having seen Lukaku at the early stage of his career as well, and and, and go on to bigger and better things, of course, as well. Um, I clearly, I'd love him to see him, you know, come back to form and start scoring goals like he did against Villa earlier in the season. I mean, that's the only team it feels like he scored against his Villa. Honestly. <laughs> So many bad things going on at the moment. Has Jurgen Klopp played a blinder, George, bringing in Luis Diaz in January? I mean, their squad now, their depth, it's incredible. You know, Mane now looks more hungry because there's a little bit of competition there. But you look at their bench and the player's not even getting on the bench. Liverpool's squad is up there with City now. And I think it always has been. And as we said, the, the squad is better now than it was probably when they won the league, when you add Elliot Jones, um, yeah, that's, Thiago, that's why it's so all, good, all these yeah. players. Um, yeah, I mean, he looks he looks very, very lively. Uh, we've seen Sadio Mane come into some form off the back of Diaz coming in. Uh, understandably, now we had three three positions for four players. We've now got um, three positions for five players. And it, it felt like Mane was always the one because of the way where Jota plays. Um, it was always Jota and Firmino up against each other. But given where Diaz wants to play, it's now Mane's spot that, that's really under threat. And having competition for places, especially when you're playing so many games in a season, can only be a positive thing. Uh, and that's what we're seeing now. So he looks a masterstroke because he looks like a very good player. And, you know, the 40 million quid or whatever it was doesn't seem like a, a massive fee. No. Um but also in terms of, of just competition for places um, and keeping players fresh, it looks. Uh, I, I think we've all been quite surprised how quickly he's made that impact. And George, what's your tip? I'm backing Liverpool to win. Uh, they're 13 to 10 in 90 minutes. I'm just convinced that Chelsea aren't playing well, and I think a lot of Chelsea fans agree with that. Uh, even against Lille in, in the Champions League. Even out in in the Club World Cup, um, even at Palace where they scored very late on to win the game, um, we're not seeing a, a big margin of dominance from Chelsea over their opposition in any games. And in fairness to them, it must be quite difficult playing in fifteen different competitions in a row. You never pretty never know what you're playing in. Um, but I, yeah, I think Liverpool are, are the better side. You know, I was pretty bullish pre-season on this podcast by saying that I thought Liverpool were the second best tied side in the division behind City, and that they were the team who probably would serve it up to City. Uh, and that they were in each way bet that is playing out in the league table now, and and you know they're ten points clear of Chelsea, and I think that that gap will be will be shown on Saturday. Okay, brilliant. Sunday, 
Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Well done. Okay, just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today. And if you do so, you'll gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months by visiting theathletic.com slash football pod. That's it. That does us for today. Thanks to Steve and thanks to George. Sorry, thanks to Beef and thanks to George. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening as well. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show wherever you get your podcasts. Mark Chapman's going to be back on this feed on Monday. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.